Hello and welcome to the Forward Unto Dawn podcast, the show all about exploring the fiction of the Halo universe. I'm David, and I'm joined by my co-host, Danny. Hello. And this episode, our year in review show, we have two guests who, coincidentally, you previously heard back on episode 20, our last year in review episode. So it's great to welcome back Dildev. Hello. And Def Guru. Adios. Graphics acknowledged. Uh, for the second Council of D's to talk about Halo uh, in 2017. Oh Council of D's, please. Come on, don't, don't make it easy for me. <laughs> um, so compared to 2016, um, I'd say the Halo world was a bit quieter. Um, 2015 was busy because Halo 5 came out. 2016 seemed like it was quieter the first half of the year, and then everything came in a torrential rain storm at the end of the year uh and then this year there was less and was sort of spread out um i guess we'll start uh asking how what everyone was doing in their year of halo at a high level well obviously um probably the high points for me were both legacy of onyx and envoy um i thought that those were both fantastic reads um especially envoy it it might be my second favorite Halo book. So, after which? Oh, Shadow of Intent. Shadow of Intent's fantastic, but we're not talking about that today. <laughs> and you, Defker? I mean, honestly, getting to play the sequel to Halo Wars whetted quite a bit of my whistles, and uh, I really, I, I loved the uh, expansion, Awakening the Nightmare, maybe a little more story-wise than the first one. Maybe it's just because I really like Pavium and uh, Vortis. Book-wise, Retribution has been my highlight of the year, probably of the last couple of years, okay. honestly. And Danny? I think uh, my year review is slightly different than uh, the rest of us because this is the year I've played less Halo than every other year. I read less Halo and uh, didn't play Halo Wars. Had zero interest in it. Books put me to sleep. Comics aren't doing it for me, and I haven't touched Halo 5 since I can't even remember. That's my year review. <laughs> thanks for reporting in from the land of salt <laughs> um gotta have a negative nancy somewhere i'm 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 a jill not nancy okay <laughs> okay um so for me uh i played and read everything brag about it no not <laughs> bragging just i've got the time um <laughs> but i guess starting in uh yeah we started uh in February with Halo Wars 2 and that was the the game release for this year and uh like Defrier I guess I was really excited about it I enjoyed it I definitely think I we had our we had our um our review which we'll post a link in the show notes I think the story was for a lot of people like a big step forward uh, they liked oh well we're getting classic halo vehicles and return to a art style that's closer to bungee stuff they liked following up on the spirit of fire returning to the arc i was actually probably i liked the base game i think awakening the nightmare was much better both in terms of the short little story it told and also um just being a more enjoyable varied rts game but i quite enjoyed it and I liked that there was the drip feed of uh, leaders that made it more engaging uh, gameplay-wise throughout the year. Dildev, 
Did you end up playing Halo Wars 2? Because I know you had started on Halo Wars 1 last year. I, I did. I did play through Halo Wars 2. I did not play through Awakening the Nightmare, but I watched a playthrough um, online. So. <laughs> yes. I got the story. You don't. If you don't want to pay the money, you can just watch people play it on YouTube now. I really enjoyed both um, Halo Wars 2, the, the base game, and Awakening the Nightmare. Again, even though I didn't get to play it. Um, like uh, The gameplay for Halo Wars 2, the base, uh, was a lot of fun. Um, I felt, you know, comparable to the first Halo Wars. The story I felt was slightly different, um, in rather in its focus. I felt Halo Wars, the first one, was like better structured as a plot, but Halo Wars 2 gave us more uh character depth and mm-hmm. so I really enjoyed that. The the writing for in terms of plot wise wasn't as tight, but the characters felt more memorable to me in Halo Wars 2 as opposed to the first one. Yeah. I think Halo Wars 1 in many ways feels like in a relic of old Halo in a lot of ways in that it has very stock characters in a lot of ways. You've got your your Cortana like character, you've got your gruff military characters, you've got a situation where the ragtag UNSC force has to blow up before an artifact to keep it from the Covenant's hands. Um, I, I think you can ca- I think you can summarize it by saying they wrote a book where the antagonist's entire motivation was anger at humanity for blowing up forerunner stuff. So, well, that is true. Which, which is really ironic because in Contact Harvest, they were being blamed for blowing up forerunner stuff, but they weren't actually blowing up forerunner stuff. They, they, that was the excuse used by the hierarchs in order to um, create the war. But then the war started, and then humanity did start blowing up. Hashtag um, the prophets stuff. were right. Yeah, they, I guess they were prophetic. <laughs> okay, so we got Halo Wars, and that went through uh, all the way to September is Awaken the Nightmare. Um, so that was a big chunk of the year. And then in April, we got our first novel, which was Envoy, um, Halo Envoy from Tobias Bacale. Yep. Uh, which we covered a little in episode 21 of the podcast. And so you really like this still, though. Explain oh why. Tell us. Explain why. Um, well, one, I really enjoyed um, the short story in uh, Fractures Oasis that led up to it. Um, I thought that did a really good job of setting the scene of the kind of uh, situation, the tension uh, in the joint occupation zone, and the in turn, my favorite part of Halo has got to be the post-war interspecies kind of political tension. That is, that's kind of my favorite thing. That's that's my that's my jam, and so I was always really interested in in what went into the joint occupation zone. Like what what did it look like with with humans and Sangheili interacting. So already just on the basis of the premise, I was excited um, to go in and see it um, and, and like and read about what the structure was like. And then additionally, I was kind of expecting it to have a pacing more like the Kilo 5 trilogy because um, the Kilo 5 trilogy being in the post-war landscape has this it, it's 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 kind of in this on the brink of 
crap hitting the fan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they haven't reached it. And so the Kilo 5 folks are trying to make sure that when the crap hits the fan, because um, they believe that it will, it will hit the Sanghaley instead of the UNSC, or more the Sanghaley than the UNSC. So it's so in the Kilo 5 trilogy, it's more of this peace is possible, but nobody believes it's going to happen. So the folks like Julem Dama and Kilo 5 and Perengoski are all pushing again back towards conflict and war. And I was kind of expecting that to kind of be the the situation on in Envoy, where there is this tenuous balance that will hopefully tip towards peace at the end. Instead, it starts off with violence already fully erupted, like we're dropped right in the middle of the war zone. And it was just kind of like a, a stressful read, like from the get-go. But at the end, despite all the conflict, despite the fact that there was you know, that, that, that the peace talks failed initially, the end still um, brought about reconciliation and forgiveness and a an emphasis on a peaceful resolution. Like the very fact that um, Rajka was, he goes from a warrior, someone who's proud to be a warrior, to someone who's proud to be a diplomatic envoy. And I just, I loved it. I'd say my favorite part of the book was that it actually recanonized the Sharkoi, which had kind of been in a canonical limbo for like 11 or 12 freaking years. Yes. And it made them terrifying. And it, it, I, I think it also was a nice shading on just another aspect of the Forerunners you don't see that, yeah, they kind of made these like terrible slave war monster things. <laughs> um, which... Which uh, 343 and Buckle really got close to the uh, concept art that Bungie had established for the Shark Corps already with their descriptions and stuff. Yeah, I noticed that too. That was a nice touch. Um, I do know that uh, a while back I was talking about uh, conversations of the universe where the Shark Corps were mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frankie mentioned that he had a hand in writing a lot of what was in there. So I imagine it was probably one of those those personal things that he was interested in making sure uh he kind of had his fingers in a lot of stuff like that um with death guru you were the one who mentioned who called the sharkoi or maybe it was you david like the kind of slave races that that the forerunners created um i think that's really interesting because i could be remembering this wrong but either it was in the forerunner trilogy or was in like a deleted scene from halo 4 but like some of the, like the races that we know now weren't those kind of genetically engineered to be in servitude to the forerunners as well. Am I remembering that? Right? Um, I do not actually remember off the top of my head. I've forgotten more of the forerunner saga than Greg Bear wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, it's 20, 2018 will be the year of rereading all that stuff for me. Um, yeah. But I mean, even then you have the librarian dicking around with humans for funsies. So yeah. it's not really that far away from I their have, usual I... operation. Yeah. Okay. I was just, I was, yeah, I was just kind of a side note that I cued in on. I also appreciated that this is one of the few books where someone does the obvious proper response to something, which is shoot the leader from the distance 
and this is just the one case it doesn't actually work. <laughs> so they immediately decide, oh, that guy's controlling all the Sharkoi. Let's shoot him in the head. And if it weren't for the fact that the Forerunners had a really bad idea of making their tech apparently work for everybody who puts it on, uh, that would have been the end of it. They seemed really, really uh, picky about which stuff they'd make uh, only humans able to use. People were not... They had some plans going out to the Sharkoi factory, but no one missed the memo, and just... Bad project management. Just bad project management overall. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure that most people, when they read the summary for Envoy before it came out, when they talked about some Forerunner secret being buried under the uh, sand, I'm sure a lot of people assumed that was a Guardian. I was, oh, really, yeah. I was very pleasantly surprised that it was the Sharkoi for the reasons I've already mentioned. Yeah, and I think, especially for me as someone who isn't a big fan of Buckles, or Buckles, I always terrible with that name but just not a big fan of a lot of his halo work i think envoy pleasantly surprised me because it did zag a lot more than i expected i definitely liked it more than cold protocol um definitely liked it more than dirt i uh i i think i'm the opposite i uh i really liked cold protocol and i liked envoy but i think it did some things um in terms of pacing especially in the later half that kind of bogged me down my overall enjoyment I mean, that's fair. Yeah, between the two, I felt that um, it, the the writing style that um, Bacal, Buckle uh, um, used between the two novels was different enough that I can't really compare them. Like, um, I felt like his writing style for Cold Protocol was more bombastic and delightfully over the top. Like, I mean... Fell takes on assassins naked and then goes in front of the elders naked to be like, yeah, what up? You can't touch this. Um, and then Juliana, yeah, and, Ju- and Juliana introduces herself as the goddess of a rubble. The rubble, um, a Spartan gets into a bar fight. So like the Cole Protocol was was delightfully kind of over the top um, in, in terms of uh, action. Whereas Envoy kind of felt more gritty and um, more introspective with the characters, especially with Grey Team working through what, you know, they just essentially glassed a planet. And then um, and kind of working through what, what that what that meant for them and, and Rajka's journey and um, Melody's just kind of trying to work through this situation that she was barely trained for, so yeah. Yeah, I think for me, uh, Grey Team didn't really have much distinguishing them in the Cole Protocol, and so I connected with them better here in Envoy, even if I don't think he totally landed with the, oh, we're all back together, and we understand each other, and we're all happy-go-lucky by the end. Um, I also think it's worth noting, I thought the uh, antagonist of Envoy, Hakabe, was uh, pretty pretty good, especially for a brute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, maybe you can say a theme uh, through 2017, if you're going to pick out a thread. Uh, good brute antagonists. Yes. We get Hakabe, we get Atriox, uh, and we also have uh, the return of Caster, which I know you were excited about, <laughs> Abby. <laughs> I was re-listening to the last episode, and you're like, oh, I hope Caster comes back from Last Light. And he did. 
and yes. he improbably survives yet again. <laughs> um, yes! Yes! Thank you, 343. <laughs> yeah, so it's possible he's still out there. I was going to say, which one of these guys do you think is killed in the opening cutscene of Halo 6? <laughs> <laughs> Duralim Dama. Actually, yeah, Duralim Dama's too. But we'll get to that. I guess I've got one more thing, is that I liked the thematic touch of Thelvedom pardoning uh, the Grey Team for their glassing of a Singhali colony. Like, I thought that was... Like, I mean, on one hand, yeah, they, they both starred in the Cold Protocol. They were both major characters in the Cold Protocol, but also the whole thematic um, tie-in of, yeah, Thel's kind of glassed a lot of planets himself, and um, and and he's kind and just kind of that perspective he has of, well, we did some bad things in war, so let's let's try to move forward. Yeah, and I think, um, well, and that was a for the people who complained that like the Kilo Five trilogy didn't have enough perspectives of people who were more sympathetic to Halsey. I think uh, this book did a good job in presenting the human and the covenant side. Um, I think it's Melody who flat out like basically says bullshit to one of the the righteous indignation of one of the elites. I'm like, do you remember what you guys did? Um, Yeah. So that was pleasant. I'm very much looking forward to what the end of the book hints at of stories with Grey Team with this joint human elite task force that Osman set up. Me too! Do, do you really want to talk about end of book setups that go to nowhere? Because I've got a list. Hey, as long as I'm not dead, they're not going nowhere yet. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there before you... Well, and, and that's, that's I guess, alongside brute antagonists uh, done well. The, I guess you could say the other big uh, thing with 2017 was the follow-up of dangling plot threads um, because we've still got the big hanging one of where the heck 343 Guilty Spark slash Shakas and the Rubicon are. Mm-hmm. That's been going on for a while, but we got the follow-up to Grey Team, which was six years or so. Yeah, so almost the better part of a decade in the making. Yeah. <laughs> we got a follow-up with uh, Duralum Dama, which was from the Thursday War. Uh, we'll talk about later. Like, a lot of... And then we got Halo Wars 2, which obviously followed up on 2009's Halo Wars. Yeah. So a bunch of footballs were were kicked forward yeah. down the this year, This year, showing us that 343 can do more than just kill Spartan dudes. Yes, yeah, some can actually survive. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating concept. Okay, um, so in August, uh, we get the follow-up to Halo Last Light, uh, Halo Retribution, uh, by Troy Denning. We talked about it was the return of Caster. He survives, uh, return of Blue Team. Um, and this one, I think probably overall, this is my favorite novel of the year. It's kind of hard. I appreciate... I'd say so. I think the... The big thing you can say about all three novels that came out this year is that they all, I think, in their credit, even though they might all be varying degrees of successful, they were all trying to do different things. Um, Envoys delving into the political landscape, um, and I think gives 
I know there are people like I've seen on the Halo archive and other places that are really upset that after a giant war where people were killing each other by the millions, humans and covenant factions just didn't get along and they found that annoying. <laughs> and so I thought Envoy was a good rebuttal to that. Like, yeah, they've got problems and there are people who are not going to be interested in peace whatsoever, but there are people who are, and this is how the universe moves forward. Um, so there was that going in all these books, but meanwhile, retribution, well, sometimes the mystery stuff kind of delved into like CSI level nonsense. Um, I appreciate that Veda Lopez is a different kind of character than we're used to following around. She does different things. The book is structured in a different way. Um, I think I got to say, I think Beta Lopez is probably one of my favorite Halo characters at this point. She, I, with, even without having finished Retribution, she is a fantastic character. Um, I, I really appreciate how she... Like, there is a very clear human trafficking issue with both the Spartan 2s and the Spartan 3s. Um, and the Spartan 2s were addressed, that that whole especially was addressed in um, Mortal Dictata, but um, Dictata, the, the, the third Kilo 5 book. Yes. Um, and, um, but I like that Vida Lopez um, brought, in Last Light, brought the attention to the... The, the human trafficking that was the uh, Spartan program, like she tries to Spartan three program, and she tries to take the gammas into uh, protective custody. Um, but I yeah, but so I like that she's aware of that and she's doing her best to kind of watch out for them because they they don't want to leave this, but she doesn't want to leave them in there alone. And so I really like that aspect of it. And she's also got an interesting angle of being someone who's aware of how terrible the system and the the UNAC can be, but also feeling that her best option is to work within the system um, and that she has her own personal lines she won't cross. Um, I find it refreshing to have a character who's repeatedly not afraid to call Oni on bullshit. Yes. Someone's got to say it. <laughs> She's saying what the fans are thinking. Um, and then the other thing I really liked about Retribution was I remember when the, the synopsis came out, I was really confused as to how this was going to make sense with the timeline of Halo 5 when you go to the Argent Moon and what the heck was going on there. And it actually adds a lot more to the story than we got in the game, which I quite enjoyed um, and set up that, yes, the Intrepid Eye also, the the year of returning and surviving antagonists. Uh, Intrepid Eye is still bouncing around, still doing her own weird version of the mantle where she's got to gotta make humanity better by possibly killing them all. Um, <laughs> we got, we got, wait, we have Ultron in, in Halo now? Essentially. There are no strings on her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, and I like, and I think it was also an interesting depiction because usually you do have like when you have the AIs taking over, they are doing it in a bombastic way like Cortana. Um, even if I am more a fan of the created story arc than many people, it's very much a here I am kind of story. Whereas um, yeah. 
Intrepid Eye is all about doing things from the shadows, and if you've done something right, people won't know you've done anything at all, uh, which I <laughs> really enjoy. I like the conversation she has with Rooker, where she's like, hey, can you do this for me? He's like, no, you're not allowed to do that. You do that. I'm like, I'm not doing it. You're doing it. Oh, I am doing it. <laughs> yeah, and then I also really like that it shows ultimately, basically, that because no one ever goes back to read their own reports, <laughs> Intrepid Eye gets away with it because all it would take would be Osmond to reread something she wrote. I'm like, wait, I threatened to kill everybody there, and that's not what happened. And then the chick would be up. But... All of this could have been avoided if they hadn't hired the horniest Oni agent I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was another bit that I really loved is that we have generally, I would say the general rule is that UNSC is all filled with competent people and they make a point of intrepid eye basically manipulates the UNSC and Oni to promoting the most idiotic guy they have possible so she can control him, (laughs) which is great. I'm all for, for the... The dumb humans getting their comeuppance. Yeah. I uh, I think the best thing I can say to praise this book is that this book introduces a human a human character and Fred, the big Spartan two from that we've known for years, and they they start having a, a thing. And I should hate that more than anything in the entire world. And the fact that I don't means that it's means that it's good in my opinion. <laughs> Fair point. So also um, in August was the first uh, issue release of Rise of Atriox, the comic miniseries slash kind of anthology series because mm-hmm. the writers and artists are different every single time, which I know annoys the heck out of some people, <laughs> myself included. Only when it's bad. Yeah, it, I don't think it's bad per se. It's just a reality of comic production um yeah i i was not a fan of issue one's art style uh i've only read uh issues two and three my comic shop hasn't gotten issue four yet uh but uh yeah i think the art style and the other issues are better than the first one yeah there's there's stuff to be enjoyed about all of them but it is Mm -hmm. inconsistent um and that with alongside the fact that it's not very much a linear story, but much more like vignettes set in Atriox's timeline make it feel a lot more like an anthology to me. Um, but I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel like the that um, vignette style ha- has really has really worked in its favor because um, when Isabel talks about him in Halo Wars Two, she gives him this legendary status, and the vignettes kind of help reestablish that from. A reader perspective so we're coming in with kind of the same we're, we're getting the same perspective that other people have um it, like the people in universe have of him yeah and i think it'll all depend my ultimate feelings on it will depend on how they stick the landing with the final issue that comes out next year uh but i i like that so far if it doesn't land well it'll seem like a terrible discontinuity if it does it'll feel like an excellent piece of character building because the Atriox we see in Rise of Atriox is a lot more idealistic, I would say, um, 
a lot more quote unquote pure of heart um, <laughs> that he at one point he has the ability to basically keep um some drones enslaved and he destroys uh the control device and that's a pretty big difference from the guy who's kind of torturing Lacolo to put in his scarabs and has the engineers constantly chained up so that it's a good point. so it'll be interesting to see if they they address that i hope they do because it makes sense that over time atriox maybe got a little power hungry got a little war weary i mean a, a little bit but in the first the, the issue begins with him killing his engineer either because he's a traitor or incompetent and he never figures out which <laughs> i mean sometimes you just gotta tie up your loose ends and be done with it <laughs> Well, I, I also think that that, like, the punish like, I'm not saying that Atriox is a nice, friendly guy who I'd like to, you know, grab a, a coffee with, but, um, but at the same time, uh, punishing someone for incompetence or traitorous acts um, is a little different than enslavement. Um, so I can see him being against enslavement, but still being willing to be this very brutal individual who will brook no... Well, he's still no. a brute at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> They've never talked about like brute slavery or anything, have they? Uh, to my knowledge. Now, other than the basic um, like subjugation that they lived in under the covenant, or well, basic, you know, it, it, it was it was. <laughs> Is yeah. the covenant kind of slavery? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Poor guys. You know, speaking of Atriox, I think the best characterization of him in the entire year was in the car sale ad, personally. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's one of the things we brought up in our, our Halo Wars 2 review, is that a missed opportunity with Halo Wars 2 is that they didn't have a big interplay between Cutter and Atriox butting heads. They really only start talking in the second to last episode, or mission. Yeah. And yeah, like the car ads honestly had more personality interplay between them. So it was kind of a bummer we didn't get more of that in the games. It would have been fun. I think they probably could have packed that into the uh, seven minutes of cutscenes that were le- that were not there compared to the first game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also, like, it, the, the whole marketing campaign for it was Know Your Enemy. Um, so I, it, I felt like there should have been a little more built. We do in a roundabout way. Know your enemy, Asterix. Look for the comic series tie-in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Atriox, when he was announced, had a ton of potential. And Halo Wars 2 story put that potential on a shelf and says, we've still got that potential. We can get it anytime we want to. Not right now, but sometime. Yeah, and that's why I think I liked... I know some people were upset that awakening the nightmare didn't end i guess more definitively but i really liked that it showed us a different side of atriox where he's kind of what's it like being manager atriox where you're trying to run this whole thing and then (laughs) wouldn't you know your lieutenants unleashed a flood and oh god like all right he basically shows up to stare them down and say you guys are cleaning up this mess (laughs) that that was good yes i would love just uh, the next comic series, just have it be about pa- Pavium and Vortis getting into misadventures. That's all I need. 
Yeah, that, they do seem like they would be good for your buddy comedy setup. Especially since one of them is brother no and the other is brother yes. <laughs> brother no, too late. Are you doing it? I mean, they're going to they're going to introduce the third brother, brother maybe. <laughs> so anything else about retribution or Ajax? Okay, uh, and then September, uh, we got Awakening the Nightmare, which we've talked about a little bit, and we also got Halo Warfleet, uh, which was the, the non-novel. Oh, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I, I had two as well. Something that took out. I enjoyed it, but it's one of those things where I couldn't actually buy a copy because I really get upset that they don't release their art books and slash large format stuff digitally. Uh, and I don't have room in my house for more stuff. I eventually uh, broke down and got Mythos, but that was it. I mean, it was definitely. I think I'm not the I'm not the kind of fan this was targeted for. It was targeted for more of the Stephen Loftuses of the world who like the the more nitty gritty details about ships and the tech. Um, God God bless that man, but I do not think of the Halo universe the way he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why he's helping them write the books, because most people don't think the way he does. Um, I, it was actually, I can't remember which ship. Uh, one of them is credited as being created by Dr. Stephen Loftus in the uh, in-universe. Oh. It's a shout-out, as yeah. the well-deserved as it is. And so I was not... I enjoyed Warfleet for what it is, but it definitely was, it seemed like it was targeted at people who were not me. For, for the more uh, hungry among us, though, I think the most interesting thing in the entire book was the galaxy map that it had, which showed us the location of all the halos, along mm-hmm. with, three, I believe, three other quote-unquote threats that uh, we don't know anything about. Yeah, it it did have some, some for the lore people, it did have some little tidbits uh, stuff. There was lots of interesting stuff, little things in it. The one thing that I picked up on that was interesting was they talked about um, they had more stuff about high charity and how basically the center of it was like at some point they had lost contact with it. Like no one went in there. It was like this this lost zone of the city, which was interesting. There's lots of little tidbits like that. That 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 lack of contact in the center was that potentially a reference to when in contact harvest um mendicant bias decides hey i'm gonna light up this ship and go uh say hi to the humans and then um the folks who would be the r3 prophets in the games just shut it down is that the same center that they're talking about no i think because that's that's on the dreadnought where they're they're going Mm -hmm. um which which speaking of warfleet gave us the name of the dreadnought oh what is it the anodyne spirit. Yeah, so it had lots of little details like that that were still still cool to know. Then, uh, final thing we got this year was Halo Legacy Vonix. Our last podcast episode, and we had basically Danny, for what he read, was probably on the negative end, me in the middle, uh, and then Heruspis on the positive side. And I believe that you were very much positive as well, Abby. Yes. exceptionally positive um mainly because like okay to start off with i acknowledge that there are some tropes that are definitely in young adult like for example the main thing that um that stood out to me was the uh was when someone mentioned on halo archive 
tacit axiom, I believe, Ken mentioned that, hey, you do realize that, you know, these folks are discussing classified information without checking to make sure that Molly is really out of the room. And like that, that, that I will grant. Like that was a little... Yeah, I think yeah. my remark on that mm-hmm. in our episode was, it's nice to know even 500 years in the future, the standard kid method of, <laughs> I'm going upstairs, I'm going to wait on the stairs and listen still works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I acknowledge like that, that that's a bit iffy. Um, but in terms of like an, the other complaints that I've seen about like a Hergog shutting down a guardian, to me, it's a, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. yeah. They've never done that yes. before. Never. I mean, it's like they would have been created by the forerunners to do amazing things with their technology. Um, yeah. So like beyond that, it, it, it didn't bother me. And, and it was so much of what I had been wanting to see from a Halo novel or from just a science fiction novel in general, since I got into Halo, um, I, I, I fully acknowledge that it might not be for everybody, but honestly, this, this book had everything that I liked, um, except for a fancy ball. Like, honestly, if there had been a fancy ball, it would have been there. all of my favorite tropes would have been in there. Interspecies cooperation, um, a female main character, um, uh, themes about reconciliation and forgiveness, um, themes about family, um, alien characters, um, and like Gudam, Gudam, Gunda, I don't know how to pronounce the name, Little Angoy. She is adorable and I love her. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a more comprehensive discussion of how I feel about the book um, on Halo Archive. Yeah, um, well, we'll put a link yeah. in the show notes so you can, yeah, you but can read it. I, it was, I have a very strong personal bias towards it because it felt like going back to my roots as a fan. So, And I have not finished the book, but the first 50 pages, the thing I appreciated the most was that we finally got to see the Siege of Paris 4 and got a nice little cameo from Sergeant Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did not finish this because I have been having a t- terrible streak with Halo physical media lately. I bought Halo Legacy of Onyx, and it was missing 30 pages from it. It jumped from 56 to 87. And I have not gotten the last two issues of Rise of Atriox because my local comic book shop... The guy who owns it is going through a divorce, and his wife called and canceled all of his comic orders. <laughs> wow. That's been oh a thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's playing dirty. Yeah, so that's just one more reason to go digital. Just do that and read it on my phone, because I'm like a filthy peasant. The only annoying thing is I hate not having useful page numbers to when people are talking about things and citing stuff. It's especially annoying for forwarded on articles that you don't actually have an option for a page number other people can easily replicate. Um, yep. But you avoid those okay. issues. I mean, like with Comixology, I don't know if what, what you're, you're using, but at least for them, like comic books, you get pretty solid which pages are which. Yeah. 
Because they like, just replicate if, them, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But if you're reading a novel online, like if you're trying to quote from a Kindle, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Horaspis cites all this stuff to the Kindle ebook editions. It's like, I've noticed that. Nice for trying, but less than helpful. <laughs> yeah, so I think I, I definitely appreciate the. I mean, I definitely. I don't think I wrote any terrible wish fulfillment fan fiction as a kid. I definitely like imagined it in my head. Um, and I think it's unfair to call legacy of Onyx like fan fiction. Cause it doesn't really feel like that, even if it embraces some of the same stuff, but I think it's just, it is a more juvenile story, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's kind yeah. of funny because for last novel with new blood, a lot of fans would consider the opposite of fan fiction. <laughs> well in fan fiction you don't kill off the rookie like you just don't yeah. do that um, whereas in this one it's cathartic if anyone ever had a high school bully like in real life your high school bully doesn't get killed by a murderous alien um, yeah but the thing was is it wasn't painted as, as cathartic it was painted as horrific like the the murder of that kid yeah, that was but, not a cathartic experience. Well, it wasn't, but on the other hand, he's also basically the only one who died. <laughs> like yeah. the the elite, I forget the elite teacher's name. She survives a gut shot. Um, yeah. Like everyone else survives kind of implausible injuries. But the only one who gets killed is the, the bully. I kind of feel like that was used in a way to contrast the difference between uh uh Bakar assume and Dural. Like for instance, Dural is willing to pretty much kill his allies, whereas um Bakar goes in and speaks up on behalf of his enemy, who gets killed. Um anyways, but it, it def I felt like the choice of having that kid die not only ups the stakes for everybody, like, I genuinely thought after the kid died, that was kind of an anything goes for, moment for me. I genuinely thought Kasha, Kasha died. I actually thought for a moment that they had killed off Tom, and I was like, uh, you, <laughs> they're gonna have you. The Phantom is gonna be outside your doorstep with, like, pitchforks, and mm -hmm. for your own safety, please don't do that. Um... They barely survived them lying that Team Team Saber was dead for like two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so or Black Team. Um, There's still the people oh. pouring it out for Black Team, and I just don't understand yeah. it. <laughs> um, you were going to so kill guess... off some Spartan twos. Those were going to be the ones to do. Are you? Even, have you posted that comment to our to the Halo Story subreddit before? <laughs> that Black Team was the people to kill. I mean. Yeah. If not, I would have heartily upvoted that sentiment. <laughs> um, you, you and I have got to have words. <laughs> I, I it's funny. I'm not usually one of those people who gets upset when with the like, oh well, this character wouldn't do that. Like they're like blah blah blah, perfect. But the whole backstory, I think, of Black Team, where the other Spartans like knocked out her eye and all this stuff. Like that just seemed like such a weird departure from everything we know. It's always stuck in my craws weird. And I think that soured me on everything else. I do give them props for coming up with a kind of goofy, but still decent way to show 
identical Spartans in identical armor, but still disambiguate them with the Roman numerals on their faceplates before they came up with, before they just gave up on Spartans ever looking similar. Yeah. I'll be honest, visually, much more interesting. Much more interesting. I just, uh, it also annoys me. <laughs> that is, I'm again, I'm not a huge Nyland guy, but still like the whole thing about, oh, they were all dressed in identical stuff. Like makes sense, especially when your armor is worth a battle group or whatever. And but, also brand new. Like, yeah. you know, they, they, they don't have it, the Mjolnir armor. Like, this is completely off topic and it's such a minor nitpick but like i guess i would have preferred that blue team instead of having their a different armor beforehand during the nyland era so to speak um they rather got that new armor when they got out of um uh the shield world but that's a minor nitpick mm-hmm uh, also, in terms of what, uh, kind of going back to your comment, David, about, uh, you know, Black Team's death didn't really bother you that much because that one piece of their backstory kind of got stuck with you and it, you, you weren't that fond of it and it kind of colored the rest of your your view of them. Um, the Legacy of Onyx actually was a bit of a test for me to see if I could handle the created. <laughs> um, it, uh influencing other stories because i i was and still am kind of one of the people who i don't dislike the idea of the created but i feel like the execution was very poor including um the execution of cortana's character but that's we've already had that discussion so for me going into legacy of onyx and having cortana and the created be that kind of third act final boss um so to speak that it, it, legacy of onyx essentially got me to realize that yes i can still enjoy a like books that deal with the fallout of halo 5 the the choices in the halo 5 that i didn't appreciate so i'm kind of glad that this was the test run for that um that a book that i loved um had had that in it so i could really determine that yes i'm i'm ready to continue on with this i'm ready to see where 343 takes it and hopefully that they will tell compelling stories with this twist so well on that note i guess the the question is uh looking to the future what we think next year holds uh, because we've got uh at this point we've got a pretty light schedule actually i think we knew more last year about what was coming we've got the final issue of Rise of Atriox in January. Mm-hmm. And then we have Bad Blood, uh, Halo Bad Blood, coming in June. By Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> which I think is the... Uh, I feel like that's going to be the fastest turnaround for a book by the same author. Is that Forbeck again? Which is why it's it's kind of a surprising turnaround. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested in seeing where that goes. I assume also it won't tie into Legacy of Onyx, partially because Legacy of Onyx does a good job of making sure that Trevelyan uh, does not impact the created story, theoretically, going forward. It really is a sequel to Ghost of Onyx. 
And just, they did it without destroying a shield world. <laughs> yeah, just shove it back in the slit space, guys. Well, and this is good because Danny has ranted on many occasions on this podcast about how it's just a giant thing that you can't ignore. And especially with Cortana on the warpath, it would not be acceptable to ignore it. And so they've shunted it away because clearly I think they've got interesting things going on with it with it being basically the only place where humans and elites are actually getting along well. Um, That's kind of this utopian research project, even though they've kind of got an angry covenant faction in there with them now. (laughs) The solution does not please me in any way, by the way. (laughs) This shocks me. I am shocked. So um, in addition to the things that you said are coming out next year, uh, we're also getting the physical release of Halo Smoke and Shadow. Oh, yeah, that's really? true. Which Wait, is... did that come out this year? No, that came out last year. Man, my timeline is all screwed up. <laughs> well, it's it's tough to, because all that they had at the end of 2015 and 2016, they put out all those short stories and digital novellas, and then some of them ended up in fractures. Some of them didn't. Some have gotten follow-up novels, etc. It's... It's a bit hard to keep track of. And yeah, which one's got real releases, or I shouldn't say real, physical releases versus digital releases. No, you can say real. (laughs) To you, they're real, only when they hit the print, even if they're missing pages. Okay, I can't say anything to that. (laughs) But at least least I can rely on my Barnes & Noble to break street date. (laughs) That's true, you do. That is the advantage of physical. You can get games and stuff early if they, they mess up or... Because nobody nobody cares about anything less than street dates on books. This is true. Yeah. That's how I got Hunters in the Dark early. <laughs> yeah. Walked and I, in. I, oh. <laughs> and I think the the person who posted on Halo Archive got it early because of Broken Street Day too. So. Yeah. Yeah. So Broken Street Dates they're good for something. Physical still has <laughs> its value. So I guess the question is with with relatively little on the horizon where we think the fiction is going to go in 2018. Well, I'm assuming we're going to start hearing at least whispers of Halo 6. It's, um, it's got to be at E3, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's, there, we we got to start hearing something. It's only, it's only going to be a year late, that's all. <laughs> well, no, it's, it would be... if it, it, it would depend. The Xbox president has said that he wants there to be a shorter turnaround between a game's announcement and a game's release, so... If, on the off chance that's true, then if they announce it at E3 and pull a Fallout 4 and it's out this fall, then it's the game itself will be on time, just the announcement will be late. Yeah. The only... I'll, I don't believe that for a moment. Not for a moment, but okay. <laughs> it's, ho- it's with hopeful thinking, because we're hopeful. We want a new game. Let me, let me put it this way. If we don't get some Halo 6 news soon, the Halo subreddit might literally implode. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the only the only thing that throws me about that is they could do a quick drop like that, but then they also said that everything's going to have betas, so I feel like they would want to hype up the beta more. Unless it's one of those E three here's the announcement. Oh, by the way, the beta is coming in two weeks or something. That that is a very good point. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it definitely seems light, but we'll see what is going to get announced. I I hope we see the start of another comic series. I would look forward to that too. Um... I feel like every comic series that we've got, if it hasn't been as strong as a whole, there have been high points in it, at least. Um, yeah. 
Like, I felt like Escalation had some a lot of high points, actually. So, yeah. And I think I, I enjoyed, if you're talking about uh, stories taking place in the created Fallout, I really, I think the strongest uh, book, or the strongest story in Tales from Slip Space was, um, oh god, no, I can't even remember the name of it. Where is it? Was it the one about the ship? Or... Yeah, the one with the ship. Yeah, yeah, that one was pretty dang strong. I actually thought I actually th- I th- thought that one was uh, weaker personally, but I wasn't too hot on a lot of Tales from Subspaces stories. Another story I'd like to see follow up is the um, I don't remember the name, but it was Fractures, and it was the one that followed up on some uh, folks trapped on Meridian after the Guardian launched, um, mm-hmm. and essentially in order to save their people, like the the, the last survivors, they pledge allegiance to the created. Um, I thought that would be an interesting follow-up, and I especially what liked. It's the story. Thank you. Yeah, um, I really like that story because that story actually felt a lot like uh, the Galileo Seven from the Star Trek original series. Like there were a lot of similar beats. Um, There's no monsters yeah. trying to eat them, though. No, but they're you know running a little. There's still the ticking clock and what to do with people who are dying and dead and stuff like that. So. Um, Measures of desperation, that sort of thing. Actually, um, so I'm looking over the helpful 2017 Halopedia timeline, and among the the tiny things uh, that did not get mentioned, but I feel like are kind of funny to mention, is uh, they had Halo Recruit come out, which is basically just a VR Halo demo. Has anybody here gotten to try that? No, I have nope. not. They, you can go to, or you could go to Microsoft stores and try it, but I didn't get around to it. I went to one of the tournaments uh, when the Xbox One X came out, and I got to try it there. It was, uh, it was pretty interesting, but, you know, it was... I mean, yeah, it's it just is, a taste it is of something. I don't yeah. think they're really going to step into VR stuff anytime soon, but I could be wrong. Uh, and VR then, has to get out of the niche it's in first. Yeah, and then yeah. the most important thing, I can't believe we missed it, October 11th, Halo, the adult coloring book, was released by Dark Horse. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Which I do not believe I actually heard about this until I literally looked at this. So that's great. Oh yeah. Yeah, the, I, I, I saw some folks, including Grim, of course, posting about it on Twitter. It, the Halo coloring book actually provides some context for what happened to the Didact after Escalation. Oh, Dude, right. That's that's heard about the yes, that's right. <laughs> oh. Man, talk about having to go to like the the most obscure places for bits of lore. Wasn't that an issue with like people having to like find out the names of people by buying like action figures? Well, yeah, that's that that's where thing? that was where the um the Heretic Sessa, yeah, Sessa Refumi. Yeah, Sessa Refumi. Yeah. And yeah. and the Prophet of Mercy. We knew his name for years before we found out Truth and Regrets. Yeah. It's just one of those, that was where the uh, Halo 2 era sort of enjoy ride action figures. <laughs> you know, I actually, ironically, I don't remember the Prophet of Mercy's name. I remember the Prophet of Truth because it reminds me of Fidel Castro, you know, or Castro. And then, and then um, with, <laughs> with regret, his second name sounds, is like one O off from Moron, so Lod Moron. So... <laughs> the Prophet of Mercy's name is Hod Rumped, and yes, it sounds like a... <laughs> Hard Rumped? Really? H-O-D Rumped, R-U-M-N-T. 
I think it's because he's the prophet that most resembles a butt. <laughs> well, the other two are just asses. Yeah. They're metaphorical asses, not literal yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see where people are upset about the Halo coloring book thing. On the other hand, I I think it's just a tease of something that we're going to get at some point anyway, personally. You think the Dynex's going to come back? I, yeah, totally. Like, I know he was sidelined for Halo 5, but I can't imagine 343 has given up on him completely. Yeah, like, it, it seems like they... Him that bar at the bottom. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> nothing? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> okay, well, I'll listen to it later. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, type back in the comments, I heard what you said, Danny. I heard. Here's my response. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in addition to stuff that you're saying that we uh, looked over... Um, I know we talked about Awakening the Nightmare, but Halo Wars 2 had quite a bit of uh, DLC in terms of leaders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, including the small and probably forgettable Operation Spearbreaker, which had almost no story to speak of, but I thought was at least a little fun couple of levels to play. Yeah, it was, from a gameplay standpoint, I think the DLC was definitely better than the base game because the base game, um, unfortunately, it just seemed like mostly they stuck things in multiplayer. <laughs> scenarios so people could figure out multiplayer stuff but it wasn't as enjoyably varied um and spear breaker and making the nightmare had a lot more different and differences and yeah. mission objectives and stuff yeah yeah but as far as leaders go lore wise they're not too much but i know uh kinsano uh provided some interesting i think it'd be cool to get a book for her yeah as far as colony goes it's just cool that we've got a hunter character and then yeah. uh that's a, then we can, basically a first. I mean, they've I'm trying to remember. They had they had Agito knows a Guru and Ogata knows a Fosu in the flood, and Peruta Zeta Kana and Waruna Zeta Yatno and Ghost of Onyx. And yes, I am a huge nerd. Man, that's I, I just want to say thank you for remembering the the hunters in the flood. Just thank yeah. you because they're you. the only ones I think we've gotten um, a point of view from. Yeah. Right? Um, if any women are listening, believe it or not, I'm single. <laughs> you can recall all the small, minor characters in the flood. And then we can... Uh, that, if that isn't the first line in your dating profile, you're doing something wrong. I, then I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> also, I, I appreciated that, that part. And that's the, I, always, I will forever hold a torch for the flood as unjustly maligned. Yes. Uh, but thank you. Making me thank feel you. bad about the hunters I just brutally kill in that first game was an accomplishment. Like, aw. I I will hold a torch for the non Master Chief parts of the book. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. if you could you could probably cut fifty pages of it that was all just regurgitating battle scenes that we had played with in the original game would have been great. The most infuriating part of that was one part where he was going through the canyons to deactivate the pulse generators. And he killed some flood, and he's like, "Oh, a rocket launcher! I'll store this in the cave if I need it." And for tw- like three more pages, he advances forward. He's like, "Oh, I need to go get that rocket launcher." And then he goes back, and then he comes back. It, yeah, there, there were there were certain parts that were like added a little more of flavor to the um to to the chief things, like when he finds the one the one Marine in the library and kind of gives him a little eulogy. Oh yeah. Marvin um, Mabuto. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you. 
Um, were you were you quoting the novel, or were you reading verbatim from it? I am going from my beautiful memory. It's, it sounds like you just lifted a chapter out of the book itself. Yeah. <laughs> you can don't don't press him. He might actually be able to recall it if you if you give him the chance. He'll be able to <laughs> recall exactly those three pages where he went back with the rocket launcher. Yeah. <laughs> I I will always remember you, page three hundred ninety-seven. And I think I'm sad because as as great as some of the flood stuff we've gotten in later books is, the bit about where they basically just go down um, to find the flood underneath Alpha Base, and they realize that they've almost chewed their way through, and then the fight that goes on there I think is great. And I would really mm-hmm. love to see that, visualize that sort of aspect of the flood. That book, that yeah. book did have really good action sequences. I'll give it that. Yeah, he um, Dietz did a really good job of of defining like both the stakes and the strategy of of the action sequences when when he wasn't just pacing through the levels. Um, yeah. And the flood gave us our first covenant perspective ever. Yeah, yes. that's also true. Yeah, I I really credit actually Zuka, Yayap, and then Melissa McKay, who I will flat out argue is the protagonist of that book. Um, those three guys were were the reason I got into Halo in the first place. Like that was the Flood was my first introduction to Halo. Those three characters made me, you know, get through the book, made me love the book, and then from there I read the rest of the novels. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Fortnite Dawn podcast. Thanks to our guests for joining us. You're welcome. <laughs> 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 Leave that pregnant pause in. All right. Um, you can check out the show notes for this episode at forwardtodawn.com slash podcast25. While you're there, you can check out old episodes or articles on the site. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and YouTube using the handle forwarddawn. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the new year. Looks like Halo Wars 2 really did the worm. <sighs> Alright, I'm cutting that out. <laughs> no, leave that in. <laughs> I would not blame you in the slightest. <laughs>